I would always compare my work to others, whether that's the peers in my class, whether that's people I know online, designers I know, designers I don't know, super credible designers like Jessica Heesh, for example. And then after a while, I started realizing, well, what's the point in that? And I started instead comparing my current or my present day work to my work from a year ago or two years ago. And when I do that, I feel awesome because I get to see all the progress and all the improvements that I've made in the past year or two years or whatever. So I think rather than competing with other designers, I feel like we should really be competing more with ourselves. Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. I'm Femke. And I'm Charlie. Today we're going to tackle a topic that affects, I think, nearly every creative at some point in their, you know, creative career. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. So that's the feeling that you don't feel like you're good enough to be doing the thing that you're doing. It's that self-doubt and feeling inadequate and... It's kind of hard to overcome, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We've had a few stories in from our listeners. We're going to share our own stories, and I think it should be a good sharing time. What do you think, Fem? Yeah, I think this will be a great topic. I mean, it's something that I think every designer or creative struggles with at some point. Uh, maybe they're not necessarily aware of it. You know, sometimes we can kind of push it aside or... or the complete opposite. Sometimes we can really, you know, get ourselves quite deep in it to the point where we sort of struggle to move forward. So I think this is going to be a good episode today. But Charlie, it's been a little while since we last sort of had a recording because I've been away recently. So how how's your week been? How have you been going? I've been going good, yeah. I think a couple of podcast episodes ago we talked about the fact that I'm doing this monthly focus thing where I pick a new thing to focus my attention on each month and the rest of the things sort of just, you know, tick along slower and I can put more effort into the one thing. So in February that one thing has been my website. I've been rebuilding my blog and my portfolio site to align them all and it's been quite a learning experience. I've had many frustrations because... Coding, you know, HTML and CSS doesn't come completely naturally to me. It's something I'm still learning and struggling with. But it's been it's been a good learning experience and it's going well so far, though I think I'm going to have to make it March's focus as well because I'm not very quick with it. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, are you hoping to have that live by the end of the month or just something that you work on throughout February and potentially goes live in March? Well, it was meant to be something that I wanted to be able to put live at the end of the month, but there's just no way that's going to happen, unfortunately. But that's all right. I mean, I've learned a lot during the way and it's going how I want it. And so I think it's worth putting the time in. How about you and your projects, though? I know you've been away, so probably not had as much time to focus on things. But I've been super impressed with the way that you keep, you know, putting out Instagram posts and newsletters and blog posts while you've been on holiday. Yeah, I, I've been away for the past two weeks, uh, for the listeners who, who don't know, traveling around Europe a bit with two of my really close friends so we had a really great time going through Belgium, Germany, Austria and Italy so it was super nice and 
somewhat luckily, we had quite a few long train rides. So we, we traveled by train. And so I really quite valued those train rides in terms of, you know, being able to get my laptop out and get a few things off the list, like editing the podcast and going through a bit of client work stuff. So that really gave me that extra time to, you know, make sure that I was still getting a few things done off my to-do list because unfortunately I didn't really have much time to prepare beforehand as I was in New Zealand and then San Francisco for those who have been listening to this podcast for a while probably know that so I didn't really have the time to prepare so I kind of had to do it as I was going which you know I, I, I made sure that I still put something out each day or or at least every weekday as much as I could and usually that was a Instagram post which for me is starting to get quite easy to put together. I think now that I've been doing it for a while I've sort of got my system down and I can prepare you know a bit of a buffer for that so that was really handy to have that buffer while I was away and I could just you know one one two minutes go on my phone post an Instagram post and and know that at least it's still active and I'm still being consistent so it was really good yeah now I'm just catching up on all the things that kind of got a bit left behind like my emails (laughs) yeah well (laughs) it's understandable I'm finding that at the moment I've sort of mastered the whole prioritizing time thing I find it easy to prioritize my time. I know that I have things to do and I've got my to-do list and and I can easily prioritize the time to work on that to-do list. But at the moment, I'm having a bit of trouble prioritizing the actual tasks on my to-do list. Interesting. So I've got the time there, I've got the tasks, but actually prioritizing which one I should work on. I'm finding that hard at the moment. I'm not sure why. So I think I'm going to try and make that sort of a goal for March as to really sit down and focus a bit more on prioritizing the tasks that I already have to do. So for example, the night before, just prioritizing what I want to do the next morning and making sure that I form a habit out of that so that it makes it easier the next morning. Do you find yourself doing the things that you enjoy the most and then other things sort of get left behind a bit? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. You know, that's fun, but sometimes there's deadlines or sometimes there's maybe something that's been sitting around a little bit too long and I just really need to get on to. Yeah, totally. Maybe we should do a whole episode on prioritizing. Or do we already do one? I think I think we do one on managing time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> managing and prioritizing time. We didn't do really do one on prioritizing tasks, but Yeah, that's right. So today's topic actually came to us by way of an email from one of our listeners, Christina. She said to us, so my question is, with so much amazing design basically everywhere now, do you ever struggle with confidence in your abilities, like feeling like your work isn't good enough? I felt that from time to time and I know it's held me back from opportunities because I thought that I didn't have the skills or that my work wasn't as good as someone else's. So she thought it would be interesting to find out if it affects us too. So to start off with, it's definitely affected me. How about you, Fem? Yeah, definitely, especially with like the interconnectivity of everyone now and the internet and and the the ability that you can instantly put something online or instantly share something with someone which has obviously increased the amount of, you know, sharing that people are doing. So there's a lot more work now online and offline, you know, design has really ramped up in terms of, you know, how important people are seeing it in the last few years so there's heaps more work out there now which 
I can understand definitely makes it a little bit intimidating. And also because there's a rise in like design critique, I think, not just from other designers, but from the general public. You know, when things like the Google logo and the new Uber branding and things come out, everyone weighs in on them, even people who aren't designers and they've all got opinions. And it's easy as a designer to look at that and, you know, be affected by it and see all these people, you know, putting their two cents in and worry that they might be doing that about your own work, you know? Yeah, as I was originally self-taught designer before I went to school, so originally I was teaching myself for a couple of years, I mean, I definitely felt imposter syndrome. You know, I was I was learning, so I was very new. And of course you feel like, you know, am I good enough? Is this what I should be doing? You know, is my work just really lame? Maybe I'm not doing this right. Should I even be showing my work? And you get those feelings of self-doubt and you question your ability quite a lot, especially in those early stages. And I was having second thoughts at the time. But now that I look back, I realize that that is part of the journey and that that is part of the whole process. And you know what? It's not just self-taught designers who think that because I still get that too. And I know that I've been to design school and I have a first class honors degree in design. But that doesn't stop you feeling like you don't know what you're doing, you know, because at the end of the day, a design degree is just some tutors said that you could pass the assignments, (laughs) you know, applying that to briefs in the real world is a different thing. And I still worry about it sometimes. Yeah. Do you feel imposter syndrome with your day job work or only with your side project design work? Oh, that's a really good question. Do you know what? I think it is mostly my side project stuff. I feel like I'm a bit more confident in my day job just because they've hired me to do it. You know, I've been through the interview process and they chose me and, you know, I can see visitors coming to our site and navigating their way around and that's how I know that I've done a good job. I do sometimes though feel a bit, you know, of the self-doubt when I come to share the work that I do at my day job, which I don't do all that often because, you know, sometimes there's there's not a lot of it that I can share. But that's something that I, you know, wonder when I post, you know, oh, we launched this site today, what people will think about it, maybe who I've worked with in the past, or I don't know, just people who follow me because of my YouTube. I hope they don't see it and, you know, question my design abilities. But not so much when I'm actually doing the work, if that makes sense. It most It's mostly with the sharing. How about you with your, you know, day job and side projects? Which one do you feel the imposter syndrome in most? I think the same. For me, it's more my side project work. And I I agree. I think the reason behind that is because in my day job, I've been hired to do that task. And so there's a bit of, uh, what's the word? Um, they they believe in me and they wouldn't hire me if they didn't think I could do it. And so I guess that gives me a bit of validity and a bit of confidence that I know that I can achieve it. So with side project stuff, it's a bit different because it's self-initiated. And so it's basically me saying, I think I can do this and I want to do this and I think I'm great. But no one else has said that to me, and you know, necessarily. So then there's not that sort of validity that I'm actually good at it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think it's maybe it's because we work on these things, you know, in such a solo environment, like it's just us looking at them. 
And when you're at design school, for example, you get critiques all the time from your fellow students and from tutors. And when we're at work, we get, you know, feedback from other people on our team. But when it's just our own side projects, it's just us like working in a silo almost. Yeah. And I feel like imposter syndrome for me doesn't always necessarily come from feeling like I have a lack of skill, but more feeling like I have a lack of knowledge or a lack of time that I've put into it. So for example, to expand on that, you know, I've only been doing this for a few years, but there are people that have been doing this for like 10, 15 years. And so I feel early or or like young and, and that comes through, especially when I'm writing my blog posts and I sort of second guess and, and doubt myself, like, do I have enough experience to be writing about this topic? Am I just an amateur? Maybe I should spend some more time actually creating things before I start talking about my opinion on this topic. I totally know what you mean there. That's exactly what I get with my YouTube videos as well. I actually wrote a blog post about imposter syndrome uh, quite a few months ago now, but I'll link it in the show notes where I talked about how long it took me to start making like design tutorials on YouTube. It took me a while to get the confidence to do that because I just felt like who am I to be telling someone how to do something, you know? And even though I'm just sharing the way that I do it and the way that I know works for me, you know, in both my side projects and my day job with something like, for example, wireframing is a video that I've made. So I'm sharing my process for that and teaching people how I do it. But what if it's the wrong way, you know? What if there's a better way out there and I'm accidentally leading people the wrong way by teaching them this method? And even though I know it works for me and I know that I get good results from it, that's just, you know, something silly that I worry about. And I definitely think that that's imposter syndrome coming in. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we assume that if we're going to be, you know, in the example of your tutorial videos that you do, I don't think you necessarily need to have the best process to share that in a tutorial. I think you just need to know something or be good at something that someone else isn't. And your solution may not necessarily be the best one in the world, but it might be super helpful for someone else and it might be a good stepping stone for them to get to the best version, if that makes sense. So I I don't think you need to like have the best of the best. I think you just need to know or or have a skill or experience in something that someone else doesn't have. And then that way you have something to teach and something to share. And I don't think you should be afraid of sharing that, regardless of whether it's the best or, or not. It's just a way. Yeah, that's the thing too. And I've found like throughout my design career so far, you know, as short as it has been, that I've done so much learning out of design school about process and, you know, learning new ways of doing things. For some reason, I just, I don't know, when I was in design school, I thought that I was learning the process and that this was going to be how it was. You know, obviously I thought things would, you know, new technology and stuff would come out and it'd change over the years, but I've learned so much outside of university. It's actually probably even more than I did in university, to be honest, just from people that I work with and yeah, seeing how they work and observing things. So that's why I eventually did get up the courage to put stuff out there because I thought, well, maybe if someone isn't working around the people that I was, they won't be learning this stuff. So I want to be the one to show them. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And do you think that 
imposter syndrome has become a lot more apparent or or a lot more of a common feeling since like social media and the ability to like quickly share your work or do you think that it was still as strongly around before that I don't know if it would have been and I say that because if you're not aware of what everyone else is doing then you're probably not thinking about how yours stacks up to it does that make sense yeah 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 like we see on Dribble, for example, especially, which was originally intended to be like a work in progress site, right? Which obviously it isn't. People post beautiful, like high fidelity finished things mm-hmm. and even create stuff, especially for Dribble these days. And it's amazing. And there's so many brilliant illustrations and color schemes and little like UI sections. And it's impossible to look at that and not think about your own work, I I think, in in my case anyway. Is it the same for you? Yeah. And I think there's this sort of underlying rule or this sort of pressure especially on dribble to only show finished work and you often don't see the process behind the finished work I don't feel like designers are really showing work in progress ever and I think that's because they know that it's not good and it's not finished and they want to put out something that you know demonstrates their skills as a designer and shows you know how good they are and so of course, we only see this high fidelity, super polished work and that makes us feel bad because, you know, we, we don't get to see all the process and the sketches and the and the crappy ideas behind it. And you know, right, like because you're a designer yourself, you know looking at those dribble images that there were a hundred other concepts that yeah. were terrible before the person arrived at this one. But because you're only seeing this beautiful finished piece and perhaps especially if you're at a stage in your project at the moment where you're in that you know phase where you hate it and it feels like nothing's working right then looking at that beautiful finished piece can be you know kind of gutting to think that yours doesn't look like that but there's that quote right it goes something like comparison is the thief of joy so we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to other people because there's enough room for all of us as designers on this planet, you know, and all of our different design styles are going to be the best thing for different clients. So we shouldn't be doing that, but it's really hard not to. That's that's a really good point. And that brings up two things in my mind. And one is that design is not a competition. It's not like we're all in this competition to, you know, for the best one designer to come out on top. I, I think we should all work as friends and as a community and help each other out rather than competing against who's good and who's not good. And the second point that that brings up for me is about comparison. And I remember early on, sort of probably for the first two years when I was doing design, is I would always compare my work to others, whether that's the peers in my class, whether that's people I know online, designers I know, designers I don't know, super credible designers like Jessica Heesh, for example. And then after a while, I started realizing, well, what's the point in that? And I started instead comparing my current or my present day work to my work from a year ago or two years ago. And when I do that, I feel awesome because I get to see all the progress and all the improvements that I've made in the past year or two years or whatever so I think rather than competing with other designers I feel like we should really be competing more with ourselves, if that makes sense and comparing today's work to work you've done in the past and just seeing and acknowledging 
how far you've come and how much you've improved. I think that is far more important than competing your work or sorry, comparing your work to something that you've seen on Dribble from a random stranger. I absolutely love that sentiment. That's such a good way of thinking about it. Because you don't want to be comparing your work too closely to, you know, your inspirations because then you're accidentally going to end up having work that is like a bad copy of your inspirations, you know, not on purpose, but accidentally. That's just what will happen when you compare your work too closely to it and, you know, looking at it too closely when you're working on your own. Yeah, and I think we need diversity in the design world. If we all turned out to be Jessica Heesha's, then design would be so boring. And I'm, I'm not saying that her design is, her, her style is boring at all because it's amazing. But imagine if that's all there was, you know. Yeah. I think it's great to have all these different types, types of designers with different styles and different techniques and processes because that's what makes the world interesting. If we're all just striving to be one particular designer or live up to one particular designer's standard then that's just so boring. And I think that's sort of where design trends emerge from as well. You know, like where it seems to be suddenly that every designer is doing the same thing. It's because we've all seen each yeah. other in each other's work and are all like trying it out, you know. Yeah. And that's when that thing that perhaps was special to start with and was unique becomes just, you know, just like everything else. Yeah, exactly. So as Fem and I got this email from Christina that sparked the idea for this episode and as we've both experienced imposter syndrome ourselves, we decided to ask our listeners if that's something that they'd experienced in the past and we ran a poll on Twitter and 80% of them said that yes, they have. I'm very impressed by the 20% who haven't. They must be very confident in themselves and I'm quite jealous, but it, it definitely is a common thing to experience this imposter syndrome. And we asked them, you know, where this comes from and, you know, situations where they've felt it. Louise said that she's felt it most in her master's thesis that she's working on at the moment and she deals with it by absolutely terrifying herself and asking and doing it anyway. <laughs> and I think that's that's how you have to get through imposter syndrome, right? You just have to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think imposter syndrome is especially so more apparent in the classroom because you're seeing each other's work every day. You're forced to give critique on each other's work. You know, the, the shining students start to emerge. And, I mean, it, it does feel like a competition. It really does because you're all laying your work out on the table and you have to say what you like and what you don't like or, or whose you like and whose you don't like. And so I, I can definitely understand or appreciate that imposter syndrome exists in the classroom and it can be hard to overcome. But I'd be interested to hear from Louise actually what her master thesis is as a side project. Uh, sorry, as a side note. Clarissa responded and said that she feels imposter syndrome whenever she publishes a blog post. So just like me and you, Fem. Yeah. She said that she asked herself, do I know enough to write about this topic? Yep. And I think the answer to that is if you have something to say, then you have enough to, to warrant saying it. As I said before, I don't think you need to be the master on that topic or you know, world worldwide known for that particular topic. If you have something to share about it, then I think that's worth sharing and worth posting. I'm actually going to recommend um, a podcast episode here, the Sean Wes podcast episode 67 is why you shouldn't wait to start teaching what you know. And it was listening to this podcast. It took me a few times to, you know, for this message to sink in for me. But 
the the idea basically is that there's going to be someone out there who can learn from you. You know, you know more about this topic than one other person, so you can teach them. Yeah, I think that's a great sentiment. Clarissa also said that as a researcher by day, she finds that the more you find out about a topic, the more you realize you don't know about it. So she deals with it by accepting that I don't know everything and hoping that someone will learn something from me. So I think that's... That's the right attitude to have, I think. Yeah. There's always something more to learn, right? Yeah, always. Katie said that she is her own worst critic and she thinks a lot of people can relate and I would definitely agree with that. What do you think, Fem? Are you your own worst critic? I think it's, you know, having side projects where sometimes our only critics until the project is live. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and especially with side project stuff, I mean, <laughs> there's not sort of like that pressing deadline as there is for if it was a client project. I, I mean, I'm trying to get better at forcing forcing deadlines on myself with personal work but sometimes I can just keep going and it just never gets pushed live and that's something that I'm trying to improve with myself of being okay with you know appreciating this is where I got up to it's it's good and and that's all it needs to be so I'm going to put it live and then I can keep iterating if I keep iterating internally without putting it live it's just never going to get there because I'm going to constantly be iterating and iterating and feeling like I can improve on it more and so that's kind of what's happened with the new website redesign that I'm doing for the apartment which started late last year October or so and I've just been on this journey of constantly iterating it and not actually putting it live ever and so the version I did back in October is completely different from the version I did now and I'm trying to get better at just oh man putting it up and iterating it as I go and making those small tweaks and changes because to me like I might be able to see the tiny bits that are bugging me but it already works and it's already better than what I currently have and so it should it should just go up there you know if you know what I mean because it's already an improvement on what I have at the moment definitely you just need to get it live and I know, you know <laughs> make sure come back to the problem that you were solving yeah like why did you need to redesign? Does your design solve that? Then good, it's done. If the answer is yes, then yeah, it's done, yeah. It's, it's getting really close. Owen's like in the final stages of the code tweaks, so it's getting close. Exciting. Maybe in the next episode we can link it in the show notes because it'll be launched, possibly. Let's hope so, yes. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> so Katie also followed on from her tweet and was saying that it's hard to accept compliments and accolades for work because she feels like she could have done things so much better. And I sort of feel that when I with my side project stuff, when I design something and if someone says they like it, I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, a client didn't pay me for it or whatever. I just feel like if it's not specifically solving someone's problem, if it's just something that I've made to look nice, I sort of just brush it off and I feel like it doesn't really matter, which is kind of a bad thing because it's nice to be complimented, you know, and you should accept compliments graciously. So I think I need to get better at that. Yeah, I think compliments, I feel like I'm the opposite. Compliments give me a bit more of a boost rather than the opposite because for me it kind of validates that I that I did do a good job and I know that we shouldn't always necessarily care what other people think, etc., etc. But it, it is nice to receive a compliment when you put out a piece of work and I think for me that sort of validates like or helps me realise that, you know what, yeah, I, I, I did do a good job and I should be proud of that. I think that for me it's that Kiwi uh, tall poppy syndrome yeah. <laughs> that comes through where 
in New Zealand there's a syndrome, you know, to badly explain it, I'll link something in the show notes that explains it better, <laughs> but basically it's that no one person can, like, rise above the rest and tall poppies get cut down, you know, like people who do great things get cut down to size. Unfortunately, there's, like, you know, that sort of attitude in our home country. So I think that sort of sticks with me a lot of the time. Mm, yeah. Tree said something interesting in response to our tweet. She said, my issue is, is it imposter syndrome or do I really suck? How do I tell the difference? What do you think about that, Femme? I don't quite know how to answer. Because, I mean, when you're working on something, you know, like a side project that's just for yourself and it's not for a client, you know, you're not getting their feedback on it, you're not getting other people's feedback, it's hard to know if you're in the stage of the design phase where it gets worse before it gets better or if this project is just not turning out right, you know? You can't know that until you can look back on it at the end. Yeah, I'm a bit lost for words. I I don't know if I have an answer for this. I think it sort of comes from after you do it a while, if that makes sense. So if if you've only ever put out one piece of design work, then, I mean, it's too early to tell whether you suck or not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Y- you have to d- try a few times. And I think also trying to analyse the results of of that so you put out this piece of work what has that resulted in what what has that achieved what has your design achieved and and what has been improved in the world from your design and if there is at least one thing that has improved then I think in my opinion then your design has achieved its goal so therefore I think you're a good designer yeah I think you have to come back to the like the brief you know said in quotation marks because even though you might not write a brief for a side project for yourself there will be something you're trying to achieve for it so you need to look at if your design ticks those boxes and this this happened for me recently actually with my infographic I put up a infographic post about the music that I listened to in 2015 it was a beautiful infographic by the way oh thank you Pim. <laughs> See, that's me. Hard to take compliments. <laughs> it's true. It's really, really nicely designed and it's very clearly laid out. Everyone should go and check it out. See, and I had that, I went through that phase with it where I was like, oh, is this like, you know, I don't do infographics. You know, this is something I'm wanting to get into doing more of, but this is probably really bad. You know, I could be doing this a lot better. Are these graphs crappy? Is it boring? But at the end, I went back to, like, the objective of an infographic is to share the information in a way that's, you know, visually appealing and easy to understand. And I think that my infographic did do that. So I was able to call it done and post it without, you know, spending another few months agonizing over it. But that's what helped me was coming back to the, like, the reasons why I was doing Mm -hmm. something. So maybe that could help Tree as well. Yeah, I I think so. And that's a really good example, too. So thanks for sharing. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So what do you do, Fem, when you feel like your work isn't good enough? I usually ask someone else for critique or feedback. And I, I know that in the past I've asked you, sometimes I ask Owen, or sometimes I ask someone who's not not even in the design world to get like a super fresh eye and a super outside perspective on it. Because I think that's important to remember as well is that it's not only designers that are going to see our work in the world, it's a whole range of people, you know, totally different types of people that most of them probably have never come from a design background or don't have a design eye. And so they won't necessarily see all the tiny little 
details that that we see and that we stress over. So I think getting feedback from a non-design perspective is also super helpful as it can, well, well, they can provide their perspective on what they take from it and what they get from it. And then you can sort of see whether they're taking the right things from it and whether it's achieving what it should be. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you have to be careful with the questions that you ask when you're getting feedback from Mm. non-designers because often when you get someone to look at a design, they'll just be telling you if it looks good or not, you know? Yeah. Whereas, you know, and they think they're being useful by saying it looks nice, but what you really wanted to know is like, you know, maybe you want to show them a screen and be like, where would you click if you looked at this? Yeah, totally. That sort of thing can be really helpful. To get someone, yeah, a complete outside of the view. I often, when I'm at work, send mock-ups through to, like, the copywriter that I work with just, you know, for quick opinions. I'm like, you know, what do you think of this? And he might be like, eh, that looks a bit awkward there. And I'm like, yep, you were right. I was worrying about that. So now that I know that that's not, you know, an unfounded worry, I'm going to work on fixing that more. <laughs> yeah, I think my advice would just be to, to get an outside perspective, really. I think it's easy if you're in front of the design for extended periods of time and you've been with that design since its birth it's hard to get a it's hard to provide a a good view or a good opinion on it so getting an outside perspective I think is super helpful. I also I think that when I'm sort of in that funk where I'm feeling like I'm just not good enough I don't go and look at other people's work because I know that that's just going to drive me further into it if I look at things that I'm trying to achieve and not quite making, rather than giving me inspiration, it often ends up just frustrating me. So I prefer to perhaps, if I want to look at things, look at stuff that's not related. So like, uh, that's probably sounding really confusing. To give an example, with my infographic, this didn't happen, but if it did, and I felt like I was really, you know, feeling like it wasn't good enough and I was frustrated by it I wouldn't go and look at other infographics for inspiration but I'd look at other things like illustrations and stuff to get inspiration for color schemes or like line style that sort of thing and see how I could apply them to my piece rather than looking at what other people have done with infographics and feeling sad that mine doesn't look like that does that make sense at all yeah that's a really good piece of advice because I think a lot of people in that in that scenario, would go and look at other infographics to try and get inspiration from them. Yeah, and it happens especially with uh, product landing pages as well, which is what I end up doing a lot of. So rather than looking at websites that advertise other products, it's better perhaps to look at websites for completely different things like blogs or something and see what little elements that you like that maybe you could take inspiration from in your piece because that means you're making something new and you're not accidentally copying something else, you know? Yeah. So Christina asked in her email to us if there's any certain things that we do to help build our creative confidence. What do you think, Fem? I think building creative confidence comes a lot from within yourself. So I think you just need to persevere and look at your work with a good critique and and a good design eye and I think just keep trying and not giving up and I think slowly as you start to put out work you know you're only going to improve and I think also another thing that I do which I touched on earlier is compare to my past self rather than comparing to other designers in the field because that really gives me not only a good you know confidence boost but I mean, that's just results there that you can't argue with right in front of you, seeing how much progress you've made along the way. 
Yeah, that's an awesome piece of advice, I think. I need to try and do that more too. I often don't look back on my past work apart from like if, for example, like right now I'm rebuilding my portfolio. That's the only time I really look at other things I've done. Something that helps me build my confidence is sharing my work, like taking that risk and getting the feedback from it. So like what we're creating, right, we do want feedback, you know, even though feedback can be scary or, you know, might not be what you want to hear at times. We share work because we do genuinely want to know what people think about it. Otherwise we wouldn't bother sharing it, right? We just keep it to ourselves. And what helped me with my video tutorials, my YouTube videos, was the feedback that I was getting on my other videos, really, of people saying that they were useful and that they were learning something. And to start with, that really scared me. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, all these people are, like, relying on me to tell them this. You know, what if I've told them the wrong thing? What if they're going away thinking this when really they should be thinking that? But from their comments and, you know, the questions that they were asking me, and then I thought back to the questions that I would be asking, you know, someone in my position now, maybe a few years ago, they trust me and they want to know what I think. Like, you know, that's why they're asking. They could ask any other designer out there, but they are asking me, so they're interested to know. So that's what helps me, you know, get the courage to hit publish on those videos is knowing that it might help one of these people out and that maybe, you know, I, I just trust that they're smart enough to do their own research as well and not take my word as gospel. <laughs> but maybe that what I have to say can help them out. Yeah, I think there's nothing more confidence boosting than the validity of someone actually asking for your advice. You know, I mean, of course, it's going to give yeah, you a bit definitely. of a confidence boost and make you feel, oh, well, you know. They, they look up to me and I it sounds like I know something that they don't know or that I could share something that could help them in some way in their life. So I think that's, that's definitely a good creative confidence booster, which it sounds like you get a lot of through your YouTube videos, which you should be proud of that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I am proud of that. And it's it's cool because it, like, it means that the audience of my YouTube videos is kind of a part of them too. Now almost every video I make has come from a question someone has asked me or a comment they've left that's like sparked an idea in my mind, just like this podcast episode came about from Christina's email. Mm -hmm. And and that way I know that I'm making something that's useful for people. And obviously you can't get in that position straight away. You know, I've been doing my YouTube channel for almost two and a half years now. So I've put a lot of content out there and that people can see in the background. And that's why I'm getting these questions so I think to start with you just have to do it you just have to push through like Louise was saying about her master's thesis yeah she just has to force herself to do it and I think that's just what you have to do you just have to try thank you so much Christina for your email Uh, for everyone else listening if you have a question or something that you'd like us to touch on in a future podcast episode send us an email and it could turn into an entire episode like this one Yeah, it was really fun. So thank you, Christina, for that. I think it's important to talk about this, you know, this sort of tough stuff that affects us as creatives, that we don't often want to shout about the fact that you feel like you have imposter syndrome because you don't want clients to, you know, see that as a bad thing and not trust you, that sort of thing. But it's important to talk about as creatives because we need to all be in this together, like you said, Femme, and Mm -hmm. help each other out. So you can find our email on our website, which is designlife.fm. And you can also find all of our past episodes there as well. And if you want to participate in our future polls or 
send in your answer to one of our questions, you can do so on Twitter, which is at designlifefm. We'd also really appreciate it if you wanted to head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. It means a lot to us and always makes our day when we get a new review through Right Femme. Yeah, we love reviews, so please do so. If you're enjoying the podcast, a review goes a long way. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, Femme. Bye, Charlie.